Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, it's another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast, football and random things on a Monday morning, uh, recording as always in the uh, Wild Rose Casino and Resort Studios. Of course, football and random things is brought to you by our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. When it comes to selecting your seed corn partner, you've got a choice to make. At Wiffles Hybrids, we've made a choice too, a choice to remain independent, a choice to remain farm family owned, a choice to stay American. So when it's your turn to make your choice, make a statement, plant your independence, plant wiffles it's been a long time since we've had a victory monday jeff woody i miss it i I miss miss victory monday i miss victory monday i'm tired of doing depressing podcasts uh iowa state with the 27 to 13 loss to oklahoma on saturday at at jack trice stadium i was telling you before we started recording that i can't remember a time in the last five years where i felt like the opponent was more irrelevant and what the opponent did felt more relevant when you left the game. This was a frustrating game from the Iowa state side, man. And I, I, I tweeted this out. There was probably like five minutes left in the third quarter. And I was like, this is by far the most discouraging 40 minutes of football I've seen from Iowa state in a, in probably five years, six years, you know, it's, it was frustrating in that, uh, I, I really liked your column of the gain momentum, lose momentum, repeat. I mean, it's a, that's a very true thing. Um, but I think the overarching thing that is causing frustration and, or I don't know, I, I just think frustration is probably the right word. And again, we have mentioned in, I don't even know how many in a row, when you watch football, you want to detach yourself from emotion as much as you can. Because most of the time, everybody out there is doing their best to do their, is putting forth their best effort to accomplish the task with the information they have. And so, you know, they're doing the best with what, with what they know. But in this case, it didn't feel like that was being applied in the right direction. And, And what I mean by that is in the Texas game, you could tell that that team was fighting And you could tell that both offensively and defensively and special teams that they were sort of these one-off mistakes that kind of just happened, but the team was still full go 100% fighting, clawing, scratching to get to that win. They just, the ball gets punched out against Deckers and it's all over in the second half against Oklahoma, the body language and demeanor specifically of the offense was atrocious Mm -hmm. and they were still trying hard 
but the, and so coach Campbell had mentioned that the effort is there. So that's not a problem, which I agree with, but there's a difference. So let's think about it in the, I, so coaching, you know, owning gyms and coaching exercises, it's what I do professionally outside of this. And one of the machines, one of the, one of the exercises that's commonly done is rowing using a rowing machine. Then when I coach rowing, one of the things that I correlate it to is swimming. So I'm going to use the same correlation between rowing and I'm not a great swimmer, but I understand this premise. If I plunk you in the water and I had you just flail your arms as hard as you possibly could kicked your feet and flailed your arms, you are going to be exhausted. Your effort is 100% there. You are trying. But if I, not necessarily if I didn't give you the cues, but if you never actually tried to put that productive effort into, or put that effort into a productive direction, then all that effort doesn't matter. And what Iowa state right now is doing is their, their effort is flailing effort. It, the effort isn't a concerted effort to accomplish the thing that they have to do specifically offensively, the defense outside of the one busted coverage that they had defense played great. They, I think they held Oklahoma to 90 yards in the second half. And in the second half, I think 35 of that came on that busted play. So they were great, but offensively they're trying hard, but they're not trying hard in a way that allows them to be successful. So they are in the water right now, swimming and just screaming, just flailing their arms as hard as they possibly can. It's a lot of effort, but it's not getting you anywhere. And the thing that is bothersome the most about that, I don't even know how many times I bet the people around me in the section were getting irritated by me saying this is make a play, mm -hmm. make a goddamn play. And I think the only two guys that were doing that were eight and 13 were the ones that you could tell I don't care if it's a little bit outside the framework of the offense. I don't care if I'm getting a bad matchup. I don't care if whatever I'm going to make a play. And Here, can I read something to you? Absolutely. That is a perfect, uh, or, you know, is, is kind of telling, uh, Hakeem Butler <laughs> has been active on Twitter during the games, uh, this year, shout out to Hakeem man. Great cyclone. Uh, always was a good dude. Um, he tweeted out during the game. Our receivers do have to play harder though. Like way harder. And then Sheldon Crony, who obviously played for Iowa State the last several years, said whole offense, not just the receivers. And then Hakeem said, look, way too lax out there, which, you know, obviously. Like, those agree. Guys, That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, those guys aren't, you know, in people that I would consider to be analysts, but they're telling – that's them telling that it, how they see it, people who have been in the program telling, them how, telling you how they see it. And I thought that was interesting to see him tweet that out during the game. And so that's what I mean is it's not, it's not that they're not trying hard. They are. It's just that they're flailing in the water. They're not swimming. And the effort is in, I'm trying to run after this thing, or I'm trying to, uh, you know, it's Decker's scanning around and popping his feet and then throwing a two yard check down that, that, that play, although the effort that you are dis, uh, that you're displaying is 100%. It is 100% of flailing in the water. It is not trying to swim. And one of the things that Campbell said in his post-game press conference was you could tell that he was frustrated too. Like he was not mm -hmm. a happy camper, even though he doesn't really express much emotion. He's pretty much the same. You could play a soundbite from him after a 30 point win or a 30 point loss. And it usually sounds about the same, but you could tell that he was frustrated in this and was talking about how in some areas they are accomplishing the consistent details that they need to. And in other areas, they're very much not. And acknowledging that is a huge thing for Campbell to say, it's just, he doesn't say much.
Yeah, Randy Peterson and I talked after the game. I think this is the most critical that he has ever been of a team. I think that that is him holding people to a high standard for one thing, you know, but two, I think it's just, I do think he's starting to understand the value of telling the truth. The, I mean, the injuries thing obviously is not, does not factor into that because he still doesn't tell the truth about injuries, but it's like, I think that he's realizing like, man, there's some on, there's some value in not coming out here and trying to pump sunshine you know, hmm. and, and I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the fact that I think he is being a little bit more transparent in that sense, you know? Uh, but I mean, I felt like such a effing idiot dude on during the first half, I've said ran the ball 12 times for 0.8 yards per carry Did nine yards rushing in the first half against a defense that allowed 210 yards per game on the ground and they didn't have a sack. So it's not sack adjusted. That's just, they could not run the F in football, you know, like, and that was what just, I, I was just baffled. I was like, this Oklahoma defense has been made to look like a joke for weeks. And Iowa state can't run the football for a yard and average and, a yard per carry. Yeah. And in the, in the tailgate show, we were both kind of saying like, and I think we weren't wrong in expecting it. Yeah. Or at I, least saying that the potential was there. I but had someone look at me and they say, oh, I thought you said on the po- uh, the pregame show this was going to be a breakout performance. And I said, I'm sorry that I thought the offense might play better against the worst defense in the league. Yeah, like if, again, we we whiffed on that one, obviously. Yeah. But the, and it's sort of a hindsight 2020, but you have both of your healthy running backs coming back You and you're playing at home off a of bye week against the worst defense in the conference. Those things and layer on top of that, the fact that against the Texas game, they had actually started to integrate an offense that works well with Hunter Decker's strengths, which he only then in the Texas game, he threw 37 pass attempts and probably half of those were RPOs and half bootlegs, which didn't, which meant that he wasn't just back there slinging it. And you would think then that that would apply going forward and taking what you saw against Texas, which was progress from what you had seen against Kansas state and Kansas and Baylor, and you think that it would move forward over the bye week with the integration of the the better health of one of the players and the injection of another player fully healthy. So you, you, those are all the things that we're making the distinction off of. And it was worse than tech. It was, I mean, it was, it, they took several steps backwards and Oklahoma. I mean, again, we we're mentioning that we don't really care what Oklahoma did. They did a couple things schematically that were, were troublesome, but nothing that was going to totally derail you. I mean, they played a bare front, a lot where in the early down and distances when Iowa state normally would like to run, especially if they had a tight end or a fullback on the field, bare front, meaning you have a defensive lineman eyeball to eyeball with every offensive lineman where you're playing a center, a nose tackle in the center, defensive tackles on the guards and defensive ends on a tackle, like five on five. That's a bare front. And so they're playing a bare front a fair amount of times when they, when Iowa state put came out in a rush look, which it's generally hard to, to run against because you don't have, natural angles. You have to down block a lot. And if anybody misses on that, which is really easy to do, then it, whatever. But at the same time, they didn't run bare front all the time and they still ran the ball 12 times. And like to, to sort of, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in this, the mind of an offensive coordinator when those things are going on, which is why you only rush running the ball 12 times, even if it doesn't work. Um, and I, I would imagine if you have a, a run box, that's bare front plus 
two linebackers. You have a seven-man box with five of them fully committed 100% to the run. You would have favorable matchups outside, so that sort of lends itself to throwing. But at the same time, when that's not working that well, you kind of still have to, everything has to come off of what your scheme needs to be. And Decker's, I mean, he threw it 57 times. And that's another thing that I don't think, you know, in in the games past, and especially after Kansas State, we were kind of saying like, hey, like this is not all Tom Manning's fault. But I think the, the lack of recognition of progress being made against Texas was not due to what you were like. I, I think a lot of what this staff will do is they'll try and they'll scheme to the defense and do and kind of adjust their offense accordingly to that. And what it seems like is what they were doing is they were doing self-study before Texas of what do we not do well, but they were also saying that RPOs just work really well against Texas. And then they kind of, they went away from that because I'm guessing they didn't think that our, that that worked all that well against Oklahoma, or perhaps it wasn't just necessarily practiced as much, but I thought that this was one of as much progress as was made against Texas from a schematic standpoint, understanding yourself that much regression had happened between Texas and Oklahoma and whose fault that is. I think it's a fair amount of blame pie to go around because there were the snap over the head on third and one. There was the, I mean, the two interceptions, which were, in the second half, which were bad interceptions, mind boggling. And what the hell are you doing, man? Right. Interceptions. And then the, there were, God, I don't even six drops, maybe six, five, somewhere between four at and least. six drops. Yeah. I mean, at least. and, and so you have all of those things happen. And there is, I thought, I mean, it, it wasn't the most well-officiated game, but it wasn't the worst officiated game. There are some plays where like, there was one where it looked like, I think it was X that was running down the seam and it looked like he was getting tackled, but they yeah. called incidental, they're calling incidental contact instead of pass interference sets you up second and 10. They end up punting on that one. But like it was, I, I don't think it was called exceptionally well. I don't think it was played exceptionally well at any position. And like, it was just, yeah, like, I don't know why it took so many steps back from Texas. And that's, I think that's, again, the, pair that with, so the regression from what worked and then it went away from what worked and then pair that with the fact that you have no one out there outside of eight and 13 that are like, F this, give me the ball, get out of the way. Like you didn't see that again. Those two guys are really the only ones that are really playing with that type of you know, absolute, just muster and go for it. And just no one else was on the offense. And that was the frustrating part. Uh, Campbell was asked after the game, why Hunter Deckers wasn't more involved in the rushing attack. Uh, he above my head, especially watching the game live said that they were crashing really hard into the C and D gaps that prevented them from some of those times where he would make that read and keep the ball again. I don't know. I would be honest. I'll be honest. I don't know how well, coach Campbell even knew cause he's down on the field. And like, I don't know how, why you can see those things, you know, when you're on the sideline like that. So, but that was what he basically said. Why Deckers was not a part of the run game at all, which is what was, I mean, has probably been their most 
in a relative sense, their most effective way of running the football, you know, like it, it's all relative when you are as bad at running the football as what Iowa state is at this point. Well, and so if that was happening and I haven't watched the game, I haven't watched the TV copy back. I didn't want to mm-hmm. just watch it live, check the box score, look the, through the statistics. But if that's true, what it looked like from the stands where we're, where I was sitting is that a, there were a lot of times when Decker should have kept it, but it's hard from the angle that we were seeing because so if it's a, a, a zone read or any type of read where defensive end or whoever the, the outside down defend yeah. defender is linebacker, whatever, if they're there and they start crashing down you keep. on the running back, you keep it. Yeah. But at the same time, if there's a second level defender, if they're planning on, if they know you're running a zone read, then they'll have the defensive end or whoever that person is crash down to the line or crash down, to take the running back. And then the linebacker that's somewhere in the box will kind of fold around outside. So if you do keep it because the defensive end moves down, that guy's essentially avoiding all the linemen to put himself right in the way of the quarterback. So even if you were to keep it, you have like a one-on-one with, without a running start with a linebacker in, in basically a hall, a phone booth. So if they like were it, doing it, that, it's basically it like work. a, it's like a pick and roll defense, you know, like you're, you're setting your pick and roll. You got the guy who has the, has this, this is your read. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. And then you got the other people that all work around those things. But it, like, at the end of the day, it comes down to like, you just have to stop your man. If you stop your man, we're going to stop him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, you got to give Oklahoma some credit if that's what they were able to do. And they were able to do something that was able to knock Iowa State off of their rhythm, then, you know, tip your cap to them. But, but at the same uh, time, like, I, and I, there is the, you have to make a play. Yeah. Things are not going to exist inside of a perfectly run offense all the time. Think last year, it was last year against West Virginia. And Brees Hall is absolutely just bottled up. They play it dead perfect. The guy breaks three tackles, doubles back outside from the line of scrimmage, outruns everybody, gets like 16 yards, almost makes it into the end zone. If I'm if I remember correctly, he might even score on that one. That's not the functioning I think portion. That was two of, years ago, yeah, two years ago. Sorry, yeah. but that's not that's not the the functioning portion of the offense that is necessary. That is someone being a freak. Someone I got to make a play. I don't mm-hmm. care. I have to make a play something. I'm going to make this thing happen. Think of, I mean, granted they didn't play awesome in the second half, but think of what Josh Allen and the bills do every single week that if it goes off script, or even if it goes on script, you get the ball to Stefan Diggs, or you get the ball to Dawson Knox or whatever, and they catch the ball. And at that point, F you for trying to tackle me. That's your fault. I am mad at you for even attempting to bring me down. And the only guys that were playing with that level of aggression and that level of I'm going to make a play were Nolan X. The, I guess those are the only guys. I mean, you look at, I think Shaw had two or three drops. Dimitri Stanley played fairly well, in it, but I think he also had a drop or two. You have guys like Darren Wilson, one or two drops. Norton was fine, but still didn't. There was nothing that he did. There was one he or looks, two, maybe. He looks he was, like he's he was, just. He's, he's a guy who hasn't played in five, six yeah. weeks, you know, and Jirel Jirel's, I don't think he's still healthy. I, no. I mean, I, I legitimately don't think that he he's probably at 80% because even when you watch him jog, he doesn't jog on his toes. He jogs on his heels, which means his ankles aren't good. I mean, so, it, a game like this just makes you realize what the value of Brees Hall and Dave Montgomery are when you had two guys who could just the other 10 people out here, the other, well, 21 people out here are irrelevant. 
that guy's going to go and do something. Well, and even, I think even more what the value of Brock Purdy is from a, from a, a leadership perspective at that position because of his ability and competitiveness. And this isn't necessarily a knock on Deckers as it is so much a compliment to Brock. I, at no point when Brock is playing quarterback thought that the offense was going to be out of it. You know, there's always going to be, they're going to do something. Something is going to happen because that dude is going to cut his foot off before he, before he loses. And that attitude did not feel present on the field when the offense was in the field for the first time in a while. And I think that is why when people talk about where leadership should come from, that why is the quarterback always the captain? It's because of that is that he, because having leadership at that position and having everybody go, all right, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, these guys aren't going to let us lose. Like I don't, what hey Pat, what are we doing? I don't know what we're doing, but you're going to do something and I'm going to come with you. There's it's that because that position is so important and whether it's just a general personality trait, whether he's just not experienced enough because Brock wasn't a, a captain when he was a sophomore either. So like it, there's, there is just a lack of that again, like you're swimming, there is effort, but it is not productive effort and it's not a competitive effort. It is. I'm trying hard because I'm supposed to try hard. It's what it should be is I'm going to try hard to beat the shit out of this person in front of me, because that's the only way that I'm going to make us win. And then once I do that, I'm going to beat the shit out of the next person. And that's the next person and the next person. And it's just that attitude. I didn't feel it. I didn't see that that attitude was there. Yeah. I mean, what more is there to say about this game at this point? And that's a great episode. Thanks folks. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like, I mean, I was going to say like, I'm trying to think, I mean, what more is there even to say, you know, well, I think and, and, things... I, and I was going to say at this point, do we just change the, turn the page to like, what do you do now? Cause I mean, I don't even know, you know, like, I don't know what there, what more there is to analyze. I think it's and just one of those games, man. Like it is. So I would say though, the things that we, the, the other general, like the positive topics that you can talk about would be, no, I, think I don't want to do positive. This is negative. TJ Tampa is going to play in the NFL. Yeah. For a long time. Because that what's different about Tampa than the other good corners that I was at, you know, I think you guys like Brian PV and, and guys like that, they didn't play the ball down the field. Like he does. And that athleticism that he's got and that length to run with, I mean, Marvin Mims is also an, is an NFL wide receiver. That is a really good player. And that being able to play that down the field ball, being able to, I mean, that's nice. That is, he played a hell of a game. I mean, uh, there's a reason that, uh, that Kirby smart was calling his phone, trying to get him to flip <laughs> at the last second on signing day, you know, like, yeah. The guy's a real deal. He's, he's really good. I th- and that's, I mean, he's just got continually gotten better. I thought Darian Porter also has gotten a lot better from the start of the season to now, because there were times when like after Tampa would, you know, bust his butt 60 yards down the field, trying to, and they breaks up a play and he has to jog back there. They would rotate Porter back out there and put him right man to man against whether it's Mims or whoever substituted in for him. And there, there was not that much of a, 
step back from where he was playing. Um, and I think there was a couple times where the young safeties like uh, Cooper and Freeler got out of position a little bit, but in general, I mean, you look at the, the secondary, the secondary for the rest of the year and into next year, that it's going to be one of the best secondaries. In, I mean, if not, if not in the conference and towards the top in the country, because you have uh, purchase seems a little small to be uh, like an, a true NFL corner, but you look guys like, I mean, Tampa is an, is a pro Freeler is a pro Cooper's probably a pro and Verdun is probably a pro. And you have guys like that, that are going to be able to play for multiple years in a row. That's really impressive. And then you look down the list a little bit. I mean, Dominic orange, is uh, he played substantial snaps got guys is mj anderson a junior technically yeah i think so but you have i mean guys that are young and developing and obviously that we talked about the linebackers last week um but this this defense is young and also really talented and i don't know that's that was really impressive and you talk about you know when i mentioned the make a play thing not to bring it back to to that when Jalen knoll scored that touchdown the entire stadium for the first time in about an hour and a half felt like it had some juice. And what happens immediately after he scores a touchdown is MJ Anderson gets a sack and it was caused by Will McDonald pressure, but Will McDonald gets a pressure. MJ Anderson gets a sack. And there was also another play where I don't remember it was some, there's a crossword. I think TJ Tampa just smoked a dude on the sideline to get him out of bounds to cause that third down to get a sack. And it's just one guy makes a play. Jalen Noel makes a play then the defense automatically. You know, they're that. making a play, you know, those guys are going to make a play. And I mean, then right afterwards they go three and out. Yeah. And that's the, that's what's so frustrating. I mean, even the defense dude, like they make a play down near the goal line. You get the stop, force them into a field goal. It's going to, it looks like it's going to be six to three. You're feeling pretty good. Mm-hmm. You've just stopped them at the goal line. And then the freaking fake, fake field goal, man. I'm like, damn, that was slick though. I'm not going to lie. That was slick. That was a good, that was a good play. Is there, I don't know the rule necessarily, but it was when he caught the snap, yeah, I don't his know knee was on works. the ground. Yeah. I don't know how that and works. Can you, uh, obviously the play isn't dead there because if that was, if the play was dead always with his knee on the ground, then no kick would ever count because every long snapper's knee is on the ground. So see, and that's what it, I do think that there is a, point isn't there where the coaches have like they do tell the officials like hey this could be coming yes you know? and so then like the long snapper will make a point to be like yeah i'm not going to put my knee on the ground you know uh-huh. and like those are probably just the things that you have to pay attention to you know when you're to to know that those aren't going to happen you know which again like kudos to oklahoma dude like it was a good play call you know like mm-hmm. and it it worked exactly how they needed to the kicker ran for a touchdown completely untouched like and it was and i and it was a that's scouting as yeah, you look you're yeah. gonna look and see if because i think what they probably they had saw two people that, ran run right past him you know like, yeah well they're no just gonna block a kick yeah. yeah they're gonna block a kick and yeah. yep that's just great scouting but it was just yeah, I don't know. I was I was just curious about that rule. Generally, is if his when he catches it, if his knee is on the ground and he's not going to hold it, then that would make him a ball carrier. And if he is a ball carrier with his knee on the ground, does that make him down at that point? This is all retroactive, and I don't want to blame. It really doesn't even have anything to do with that. That's more just like wondering. Like I don't, yeah, I, don't just I just would like to know what that rule is. You know, like and probably will. 
Yeah. I don't know. So man. where do you go from so where do you go from here? Yeah, where do you go from here? I think you you have to you have to get at the key positions that you need improvement upon. You either limit their capacity to do dumb stuff or you get them to understand that they are like to take have them take ownership they're not going to do dumb stuff. Like for example, this is a weird metaphor, but when there's there's one of the a book that I read is in Jordan Peter Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. Like in in one of those books or in that book one of his rules was don't let your children do something that makes you dislike them. And in that, he was talking about how people would always compliment him about his children being well-behaved at restaurants, but he also understood the contract between him and his kids, which is they can be well-behaved for 45 minutes. Anytime beyond 45 minutes, then they were being dickheads. Didn't we just talk about this? I'm having like deja vu. Probably. We just, we just talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. But in this, like in this relationship here is if I'm the coach or the parent, there is a certain amount that I can expect from you. And beyond that, I know that you are physically incapable of doing that. So the fault lies on me. If I put you in a position that you are not capable of taking advantage of. And at this point, we kind of know what Iowa state's offense is. We, we know what the, what everybody on the field can and can't do right now. Now on the other side of that, in this, in this, this carryover, the kid has to not be a dickhead for 45 minutes because that's your end of the bargain. And so the offense together has to get back and forth with the coaching staff has to understand Deckers can't throw it 65 times in a game. That is not his game. It is not going to work out. Well, there are going to be multiple interceptions that are going to be thrown. He's not going to read it right. He's going to check it down when he shouldn't, because that's not a thing that he can comfortably do. So what are we going to have to do about that is we're going to have to get you in positions where you can. Now, players, once we get you in a position where we know you can succeed, succeed, mm -hmm. go. You have to make the plays. And when things aren't working exactly perfectly, make the play anyway. And both of those things have to happen. So I think there has to be a reflection in both directions. Where is that 45 minutes of behavior at a restaurant? What are things that our quarterback, running back, wide receivers, offensive linemen, what can they actually do? Not what will we want them to do? I, I'm sure that in this situation, you would love to be able to stay at that restaurant for an hour and a half, have a great dinner, but it's not going to happen. So with this offense, I'm sure you would love to see Hunter Decker stand back there, read the field all the way around and get the ball, use that big cannon to throw it 70 yards down the field, but that ain't going to happen. So how do you call an offense to put him in positions where you can? Lolo is about to lick your ear right yeah, now. She wants to make a, she thinks she needs to make a cameo on the podcast. Uh, do you think personnel changes need to be on the, on the table? I mean, I think anything has to be on the table at this point. If, perhaps. But I don't um, know what, what that means either. So, but it feels, it feels like more like you need to, you have to be honest with yourself both as an offensive player and as a coaching staff in what can I do and what can I not and get your ego out of the way back to a weightlifting thing. If I'm in a, in a, if I'm, in, if I'm going to a barbell and I'm doing back squats. When I was in college, I looked, my back squat max was 575. If in my brain, I still thought that I could back squat 575 I would snap my spine in half. So I have to take that ego hit and go, I am not as strong as I was at the peak when I was doing this at one point I could, or in other situations I could. And at right now that number's not attainable. 
So what is a responsible thing for me to do that's best for everybody where I'm not going to snap my back and make this, you kill know, everybody's vibe, kill everybody's vibe. vibe killer. When you, you paralyze yourself, trying to put up five seventy five on the back squats. So what am I going to do in that? So I have to look at myself in the mirror and understand where are my limitations so that I can, I can put myself in a framework where I can be successful, where I'm not you know, flailing around in the pool, trying to just have this unproductive effort. Cause yeah, I'm an unrack. I can unrack 575 and I can rack it back in. If I try and bend my hips or knees five centimeters, it is going to crunch me into the floor. But what if I take 350 off, I can do that. That's a productive thing. That's a realistically looking at me and being able to do that thing. Okay. I got this. So I think everybody has to do that. Look in the mirror and put your ego off to the side. Like, yeah, man, I want to be able to catch the rock 12 times. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's not your game. Maybe that's not what you're going to be able to do. So what if you run really crisp routes, decoy the safety, get somebody open. If you're the quarterback, what can I do? Where am I going to throw this ball? Maybe I bail too quickly on everything. So what do I need to do and focus away from this? Have a conversation with your coaches. And it's just one of those things that like, I don't know if personnel things might be the case, but I feel like personnel things, personnel decisions happen. If one of two conditions hasn't been met, one is we have done introspection and we still can't do any of the jobs or two, we have done, we have not, and are not willing to do introspection. So if one of those two conditions has been met, go ahead and substitute them. But if you're in the process of saying, what do I not do well? And you're in like, you're, you're still trying to take that in, then sure. Leave them, let them actually apply that because you're trying to be better, but you substitute a quarterback when, or you substitute a running back or whatever, when you're trying to get them to do a thing, they do it wrong. You tell them not to do it wrong. They never learn. They don't listen. That's when you substitute them out. Or if they have done their best and they still can't do it, that's when you have to get somebody, somebody else in. And I just don't know if it's had enough if they have done enough introspection at those positions to really have a, a change of heart be totally necessary. I was going to say something. I can't remember. You talked too long. Can't remember what I was going to say now. Um, you should be used to that by this point. Yeah. It just is, uh, it's just frustrating. Cause again, like they just make the same mistakes over and over. The you good know. news is you're playing West Virginia this week. And I was, okay. That's actually what I, that, that is what reminded me. What do you think of West Virginia? This, if there is a time at, so I think at this point, confidence might be the biggest problem for the offense, you know, mm-hmm. because when you are, you know, take for what's one of the things you got a shooter that's in a bad slump and he's a, he's a shooting guard what's one of the things that your coach is probably going to tell him to do is get the free throw line, like drive to the rack, get to the free throw line. Why? Because you're standing there. The defense is by rule out of the way and you can just see the ball go in the basket. And that's not to make the basket any smaller or bigger where the basket doesn't change. It's that you go, all right, I got it. I can, I can make a shot. And then that little bit of confidence happens. That little bit of confidence happens. And it feels like there, uh, the, the generation of confidence can happen against a team like West Virginia when they play on the road, when they play in West Virginia, totally different team. But when they play on the road, their offense and defense don't play complimentary football like they do at home. And it, you have the, 
have the chance that even if it's not perfect, you're going to find some openings. You're going to be able to make a play here or there. So it feels like they have the chance to regain a little bit of confidence to know that they can do it. But I mean, it, it, this feels like a very do or die ish mm-hmm. thing for the confidence generation for the rest of the season. Cause if you lose your sixth straight, including against the worst defense in the conference and against West Virginia, then that doesn't really leave a lot of room for confidence for the back half of the year when you got to go to Stillwater after that. Right. I remember what I was going to say now. Actually, it wasn't about West Virginia. I did think about how I needed to do that. But I was going to say, uh, man, I hope that the wide receivers got that jugs machine. That jug machine should be running all week because we need uh, some guys need to catch a football. I want that thing like Happy Gilmore. I want it ramped up to 100. You're catching the fastballs, you know, and only <laughs> fastballs. And if you don't catch it, you're going to break your nose. That's the only option. From 15 feet away. Yeah. It's just turn that son of a bitch to 15 and just turn it up to Patrick Mahomes <laughs> from point blank range. Yeah. I don't know, man. It just is uh hopefully that, I mean, yeah, hopefully this week will be better, but and that and, was just discouraging. Did and I would say this, I, I think we can probably end on the fact that there, every, every team has slumps and valleys and, and things that they go through before they understand who they are and how they need to go about doing it. Some have smaller valleys than others, where if you're Tennessee or Georgia, you know, one of those this year, like one of those undefeated programs, TCU, one of those undefeated programs near the, at the top of the rankings, your slumps might be if your offense scores 20 and you win 20 to 17, something like that. And then you can go look in the mirror and say, all right, this is what we're going to do. So everybody goes through these things and it's kind of natural at some point to be frustrated with the production that you have, but it's kind of the measure of the locker room and the team about how they put themselves back together from that. This just happens to be a bigger version of that slump and negativity than what has happened at Iowa state for a very long time. But we've seen I mean, they were what one in four in 2018 mm-hmm. and put it back together. So they've had the ability or they've been in negative situations before and have put them together. And tr- I would trust this coaching staff normally does that, but this is going to be the biggest test of this locker room and the leadership inside of it that they have had since probably that, I would say the end of 2019 when they lost, what was it? Four out of yeah, and lost four out of five. Dame. Yeah. I got killed by Notre Dame. Yeah. And after that, then 2020 happened. And so you have who is going to pick up and who's going to sail, you know, who's going to, who's going to bounce and say, this sucks. This is stupid. I should be playing. You shouldn't be playing. This is awful. Or who's going to say, all right, that's on me. How am I going to make myself better? How are we going to get better? So they have the capacity to turn it around and they might, they also might not. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned Tennessee before. Uh, cause I had, a, this is a random thought from, from Saturday watching college football, uh, watching that Tennessee with Kentucky game, man. I don't know if Jalen Hyatt smells bad. So nobody wants to stand near him or something, but man, I never seen a wide receiver get more wide open than him. <clears throat> every game, every game, there'll be at least two or three times where he literally is the only guy within like 20 yards of, after running her out. Like, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Props to Alex Golish, man. Yeah. And, and Josh Heupel. Uh, yeah. Shout out to both of them. Um, and then two this morning came out, Auburn had fired Brian Harson. Uh, who'd they fire? 
Yeah, uh, it, it's irrelevant. He's so irrelevant <laughs> that they didn't even include his name in the in the press release announcing that they'd fired him. Uh, well, I think the one good thing we can take solace in is that I, I find it hard to believe that they would be real happy with hiring Matt Campbell on the planes right now. So <laughs> at least uh-huh. at this point, like, you know, you can take take some solace in that maybe Matt Campbell won't be a very desirable desirable person for some of these big jobs. Uh Deion Sanders didn't get that job though, dude. And he's going to kill it. I bet. If he does, if he wants to leave Jackson state, which he made it sound like he would be very open to that possibility when he was on college game day the other day. Hmm. Uh, so that should be interesting. He'll do better there than he would at Nebraska where they want him. I think. Oh, for sure. Just cause he's uh I don't think coach primes uh shtick would play in Nebraska. It's a different culture, different, uh, different vibe in Auburn yeah. than it is in Lincoln. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. We'll talk to you on uh on the pregame show on Friday and uh we'll talk to everybody again soon. Peace.